if you have a copy of God's Word, would you open up with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. One of my favorite roles I play is that of father. I tremendously love my children. It's one of the greatest gifts God can give to mankind is children. And I love my children very much. I think one reason why I love my children so much is that in hanging out with them, I can be immature, which is, amen, that's right, that's right. That's one of the things I love. It's one of my hobbies, to be immature. And my children allow me to do that. Now, as a father of young children, my kids make a number of requests to me. They regularly ask me to do this or to do that, to get them this snack or let them watch this or something like that. Many, many requests. And I can always, cannot always say that when I receive these requests, I respond in a gentle and compassionate way. I, I can become irritated a bit. And when that happens, the Lord, what the Lord will sometimes do is that he will remind me of what the scriptures say about me. When the Bible describes a Christian, there are many different metaphors that the Bible uses to describe Christians in relationship to God. One routine one, one that occurs quite often, is that we are children of God. That God is our Heavenly Father and that we are His children. God uses my children to teach me that I am a child of God. And just as my children make requests to me, just as my children are needy and, and, and they need assistance and help, so also I am needy. So also I need help. We all need help. We all are in need. While our children might be grown, nonetheless, we, the Bible still describes us all, regardless of how old we grow in this life. The Bible describes all of us as, as, as all Christians, as children of God. That is a, a, a precious identity. And because we are children, we, we need God to help us. And God is tremendously generous. The Bible says that he is rich in mercy and grace. And what God wants us to do as we have these needs, God wants us to bring those needs to him. God wants us to bring what it is that's on our heart, what it is that we lack, and he wants us to bring those requests to him. And what we're going to see this morning is Jesus instructs us in this manner. Now, sometimes with my children, sometimes with us, we can make requests that are sinful. We can make requests that are improper. We can make requests to God that don't honor him. So God cares about our requests to him. God cares about us asking him for the right things. God wants us to come to him. God's heart for his children is one of generosity and grace. And Jesus instructs us this morning to come to God the Father with our needs and requests, but to do so with a proper attitude and to ask the, the proper thing. So we can grow in this. We can grow in our understanding of, of what God wants to hear from us. And, and that's going to be the goal this morning is describing and explaining how we approach God and what exactly we should be asking him for. 
Now, we have communion this morning, and I have four points. So, so I will, if you, if you hear me talking quickly, um, that's why. We've got to get home and watch the Bucks win the Super Bowl, of course. So let's go ahead and read the passage together. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 11. I, I will read through verse 13. Jesus says to us, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now last week we covered verses 9 and 10. We we focused on God last week. We focused on his name, his kingdom, and his will. And this week we're transitioning to focus on ourselves. To focus on what God wants us to ask him for. So we're transitioning this week. And four points for you this morning to, to tackle this understanding of what we should be asking God for. The first point is this, a theology of asking. In this first point, I want to I answer the question, how should we approach God? With what attitudes should we approach God with as we make requests to him? How should we do that? What attitude should we have? And I'm going to answer this question by by first starting off with two attitudes that we need to avoid. The first attitude that we need to avoid is an attitude of presumption. An attitude of presumption. As we bring our requests to God, as you have needs in your life, do not ever come to God thinking that he owes you something. Never come to God presuming that he will do your bidding. Do not come to God thinking that you have a right before him and that he ought to answer you in the way that you feel and think. Now I can say that, but what I want to do is I want to show you in the passage where I'm getting this from. I want to show you. Here at Community Bible Church, we we love the Bible and we we want to see this teaching where I'm getting it from the Bible. So looking at the Bible, looking at the text... Notice the location of our Father in verse 9. Where is the Father? Where does Jesus specify that he is located? We covered this last week. Our Father, as the King James says, who art in heaven. God is in heaven. God the Father is in heaven. And and what this what Jesus means by this is that God is exalted. God the Father is above all. He, it is his will, it is his name, it is his purpose that we ought to honor and seek above all else. So we cannot come to God with this attitude of presumption, this attitude of finger wagging. Never, never have that attitude in prayer. God is in heaven, God owes us nothing. All that God gives us is of grace. We want to avoid that attitude of presumption, of that, that attitude of demanding God as if he owes us something. Now there's another attitude that we want to avoid and that is the attitude of sheepishness. Sheepishness. Now sheepishness might look like this when you pray. This is how you, you don't want to pray this way. This is how it looks. God, um, God, I, I, uh, um, God, I, I ask that, um, um, we don't want to pray that way. When we come to God, 
Who is God towards us? What, what title, what name does Jesus give to God here? Is it king? Is it ruler? Is it sovereign? It is not. Now the father is the, the father is a king. The father is a sovereign. The father is a lord. But notice the language that Jesus uses here. When we bring our requests, we will bring our requests to our father. And just as an earthly father would never want their, their child just as a godly, loving, earthly father would never want their child to approach them with a sheepish attitude, so also God does not want us to approach him being afraid of him. Hebrews says this, let us come to the throne of grace with, with what? With boldness. Another translation says, with confidence. So here I'm trying to chart this attitude that we have. It's not presuming. Never presume on the grace of God. But also, do not be sheepish. You come to a, a father. And to understand God as father, imagine for me the most loving, the most kind, the most gentle, the most excellent earthly father you can imagine. What a blessing godly fathers are. Imagine that father and remove all his faults, remove all his sins, and take all of, of, of that father's godly characteristics and infinitize them, make them eternal. And picture that, that father, God is somewhat like that. Now God is far beyond our imagination. His goodness and his mercy and his grace, we only scratch the surface. But we can get a taste of it here by imagining this earthly father. And our God and father always wants us to come to him. And we have this confidence. We, do not must, we must not be scared in coming to him. He wants to hear from you, dear Christian. God wants you to come to him. And he wants you to come to him boldly that you have this special privilege before him. And that you are his child. Now this privilege, we must remember, has not been, we have not created this reality. Our status as a child of God is based upon the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we have confidence, yes. But that confidence we always recognize was given to us. And how do we end our prayers often in churches? We, we end our prayers in the name of Jesus. Our theology of requesting God, making requests to God, our, our theology of approaching God is one of confidence, avoiding presumption, avoiding sheepishness, sheepishness, little tongue twister there, but coming with confidence. And that confidence comes through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, through what it is that he has done. That is the attitude. We come to God the Father knowing that he wants to hear from us. God cares for you. He cares of all your needs. What he wants you to do most is for you to come to him making requests. He never tires of hearing from you. 
If you are in Christ, you will never be excluded. His ear is always for you. Have this confidence. Have this assurance that you are accepted before God because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to him with confidence and boldness. Now we, 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 we segue into the, into the specific requests that Jesus instructs us to make. So we have this attitude of confidence, and then we, we, we need to ask God, Jesus commands us to ask God our Father for certain things. The first thing, the second point, what we ought to do, what we ought to ask God for is we ought to ask, this is the second point, ask God to provide. Ask God to provide. Ask God for provision for your physical needs. Ask God to provide for you. Verse 11. Jesus says this, this, this famous part of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Now the specific physical need that Jesus is specifying here that the disciples need to ask God for him to meet is bread. In the ancient world, there were no food banks. There were no places that you could go if you fell on hard times. There was no government assistance. You could starve. If you missed a couple days of work because you were injured or because you were sick, your family could become destitute. And Jesus is instructing the disciples to pray this prayer in light of that context. Now we don't quite, that, that context is considerably different than ours. And it's hard for us to, to, to understand what Jesus is saying here apart from that context. So we need to realize that in the ancient world, life was much more dangerous and difficult than it is today. There is a temptation towards viewing the present as the worst of all times. That is not the case. If you were born in this century, if you were born in the 20th and 21st century, you have a tremendous amount of blessings that the ancient world did not have. Be thankful that you are born in the here and now. Be thankful that you're born in this wonderful country during this, these times. In the ancient world, they might not have food. They might starve. Their whole family might starve. And what Jesus is saying is that God cares. God the Father cares about your physical needs. God cares about your hunger. God cares about you. And it is very fitting and proper and important for us to ask God to provide for our needs. One being bread, one being food. But we can expound this. We can expand this. It's not just bread. We have many physical needs. Think here of a job. In, in this world, the way we have access to food and to shelter is by means of money, by means of having a job, by mean, means of having a, a sufficient source of income. Now, for many Christians, they struggle with having a job. They can go from job to job. Some Christians have the same job their whole lives. Other Christians struggle. If you're struggling, dear friend, if you're struggling, dear Christian, God cares for you. What God wants you to do is he wants you to bring to him your requests, your requests for finances, for food, for water, for shelter, for the ability to pay your bills. God wants you to bring these requests to him. And not just these needs, but I think even these long-held desires that are unmet. We all have these 
desires that might partially be needs for us. If we don't have them, we will not die. But our lives would be much better if we had them. God wants us to bring those requests to him. God cares for you. God tremendously cares for you. He cares for your physical needs. He cares for those long-term unmet desires that might be needs for you. God wants you to take those desires, take those needs, and bring them to him. That's what the Lord Jesus is instructing us. And we can affirm this. We can affirm God's provision and not affirm the prosperity gospel. We can affirm that God is a good father, that God gives generously over in abundance. We can and ought to affirm that while also denying the prosperity gospel. You see, the prosperity gospel, what the prosperity gospel will do is it will take this passage and say that if you do this thing, this will happen. We need to avoid that. We need to avoid that. The Bible does not give us formulas. We submit all of our requests to the sovereign will of God. But nonetheless, we need to affirm the generosity of God. We need to affirm his love and his care and his generosity that he wants to show his children generosity. What good earthly father doesn't want to bless his children? God is infinitely better than that. God wants to provide for you. Bring your needs and requests to God. He cares for you. That's our first point. The second point is this. Ask God to protect. Ask God to protect. Second point was ask God to provide. Second point, excuse me, third point is ask God to protect. I get this from verse 13. I'm skipping verse 12 for the point for the time being. I will revisit that with my last point. But I'm jumping to verse 13. So it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now we have to unpack each of these, each of these clauses. What does Jesus mean by temptation? What, what, what does Jesus mean here? I take what he means when Jesus says to deliver us not, excuse me, to lead us not into temptation. What I take Jesus to be saying is that we should ask God to protect us from trials. The Christian, in your prayer life, for yourself, for others, for your family, for your friends, for the church, you need to consistently and constantly, in your prayers, ask God to protect you and others from trials. I take here temptation a bit broader than, than sin, than situations in which you might sin. I take it as a trial. I take it as a difficult experience. In the Christian life, you will have trials. Trials come and trials go. This is an inevitable experience of all Christians. We struggle in this world. And the Bible teaches us that by means of God's grace, he grows us through trials. Now, dear friends, I do not believe, though, that we need to seek trials out. I do not believe that we need to pray to God for him to lead us into trials. On the contrary, from this passage, what Jesus instructs us to do is to, is to pray for protection from trials. If you're in a trial, pray for perseverance and pray for the Lord's deliverance. 
If you're not in a trial, do not pray to be brought into a trial. Rather, pray for God's protection. Pray that God would grow you without having to have a trial. Pray for the Lord's protection. And then lastly, Jesus says, and deliver us from evil. Now, the key to understanding this is what exactly does Jesus mean by evil? There's an interpretive question here as, as to what exactly Jesus means. And this interpretive issue, it, it, it was highlighted by a cute little story I heard this week. This is how the story goes. I had been teaching my three-year-old daughter, Caitlin, the Lord's Prayer for several evenings at bedtime. She would repeat after me the lines from the prayer. Finally, she decided to go solo. I listened with pride as she carefully enunciated each word right up to the end of the prayer. And this is what she said at the end. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from email. Now, email can be evil. But that's not exactly what, what Jesus is saying here. It's not email. And I don't take it to be specifically evil either. I take it to be Satan. I take it to be the devil. When Jesus says, and deliver us, excuse me, but deliver us from evil, I take Jesus to be saying, but deliver us from the evil one. If you have an ESV, you will notice a footnote here at the end of verse 13, and you'll, you'll look at the bottom, and it says, or evil one. And also, you'll notice that I'm not, I'm not teaching today on, on, on how the King James ends the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. If you have a question as to why I'm not doing that, I would encourage you to read this week's from pulpit and paper to understand my thinking and not covering that. So Jesus is here telling the Christian, telling us that we need to pray for protection from the devil. Satanic attack. In Ephesians, Paul says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the rulers of this dark age. Jesus is teaching a similar idea here. The Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking to devour. We need to pray for protection. We need to pray that the Lord would prevent us, would protect us from trials, and that the Lord would protect us from the evil one. Now for our last point. It is this. Ask God to forgive. Ask God to forgive. Jumping to verse 12. And forgive us our debts. Excuse me. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now there's two theological issues that we need to unpack to, exp to understand what Jesus is saying here. The first theological issue relates to this phrase, this clause, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now look with me at verse 14 and 15. Jesus says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What Jesus is doing in verse 12 and what he expounds upon in verses 14 and 15 is Jesus is tying a tight relationship between our request for God to forgive us of our sins and our granting forgiveness 
to others. In verse 12 and verse 14 and 15, Jesus is tying a close relationship between us receiving forgiveness, our forgiveness, and us granting forgiveness to others. Now what Jesus means here, I need to explain it by, by, by telling you what he does not mean. Jesus does not mean here that we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. The forgiveness that we receive from God, excuse me, the forgiveness we give to others is not the cause of God's forgiveness of us. The forgiveness we give to others is not the cause of God forgiving us. Furthermore, this is not teaching that for those who have been forgiven, that God, that their salvation will be lost. This passage is not teaching that you can lose your salvation. Let me be clear about those two ideas. Our forgiveness is not caused by us forgiving others, and also you cannot lose God's forgiveness. That's what it doesn't mean. Now, what it does mean is this. The evidence of your forgiveness, the evidence that you have been forgiven of your sins, the evidence of that is that you forgive others. The evidence that you have been forgiven is demonstrated by you forgiving others. And so if you're not forgiving others, if you have a heart of bitterness, resentment, and hatred towards others, that is a sign that God has not forgiven you. That is a sign that God will not forgive you. The evidence of our forgiveness is demonstrated by the fact that we forgive others. That's what Jesus is teaching here. And we will revisit this point in a, in, in a bit. But first I'd like to go to this request, this, this other theological dilemma that we have to unpack to exp- understand verse 12. Jesus says, forgive us our debts. That's what we should, should, should tell God. We should constantly and consistently come to God asking him that he would forgive us of our sins. Now here's the dilemma with this point. I'll, I'll pose it as a question. If God has forgiven us our sins when we become a Christian, why do we need to continue asking God to forgive us of our sins after we become a Christian? If God has forgiven us of our sins when we become a Christian, why do we need to continue asking God to forgive us of our sins after we become a Christian? That is a great question. And if you've read this passage and had that question, you're reading the text well. Let me explain to you how we answer this question. The Christian life, the ongoing process of sanctification in the life of a believer, what that is, it is the consistent, perpetual, repeated experience of coming to Christ for the first time. When you come to Christ for the first time, when you become a Christian, you say to God, God, forgive me of my sins. Based upon the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me. Now, the continuation of the Christian life is no different than the first moment of the Christian life. We come to God for the first time. 
by means of prayer, by means of confession, by means of pleading to God for him to forgive us of our sins. The Christian life is no different than that. The Christian life is learning the same lesson over and over and over again. We don't just come to Christ once. In the Christian life, we come to him over and over and over and over and over again. What you do at the beginning, what you do at the first point in your walk with Christ, you need to do that every day. You need to constantly ask God to forgive you. You need to constantly go back to that moment, that first moment that you had with the Lord Jesus Christ. Constantly pleading with God for him to forgive you of of your sins. Because we know that in the Christian life we sin. And God wants us to continually, not just one time, but daily come to him asking him to forgive us of our sins. The continuation of the Christian life is no different than the beginning of it. Now kind of tying these two themes together, tying together this notion of, of, of our need to forgive others and tying together our, our request to God for him to forgive us. Dear friends, bitterness and unforgiveness is a big sin. Bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred in your heart towards others is a serious sin. It is so serious. It is so serious that the Bible says it is grounds for God not forgiving you. That's a big deal. And in your life, you likely have many hurts. People have likely hurt you. People have treated you badly. People have spoken poorly of you. They've gossiped about you. They've spoken ill of you. They've harmed you. They've mistreated you. They've sinned against you. And in situations like this, it's very easy to grow bitter to resent them to hate them it is very easy to not want to forgive to not want to have that attitude but to hold on to these deep hurts in the past what Jesus is telling us this morning if that's you if you have had those experiences if in your heart you're thinking of that person You're thinking of that person and those feelings and thoughts of resentment and bitterness are arising. What God wants you to do is God wants you to confess those sins to him. That is sin. God wants you to take those feelings, that bitterness, and he wants you to give it to him. And the reason why you need to do that is because of what God has forgiven you of. Your sins against God, the offenses that God has forgiven you of, the, forg- the, the offenses that God has forgiven me of, are far greater than the offenses that others have put upon us. What God has forgiven us for is much greater than what we are called to forgive others for. 
And what God wants you to do, God wants you to be a conduit, a giver of grace. You see, the people who have hurt you are in desperate need of God's grace. They desperately need the grace of God. And the way you give that to them, the way you show them that, is by means of confessing your resentment to God. Knowing that as you ask God for forgiveness, there are others in your life that you must have an attitude of forgiveness towards. We must do this. The Lord Jesus here is commanding us to do this. In your bitterness, in your resentment, in your anger, in your hatred, towards others, towards those who have hurt you. Take those to God. Ask God to forgive you. There's nothing more therapeutic than confession. Confess your sins to God. Confess your sins to Him. Ask Him that by means of this, that He would cleanse you, that He would purify you, that you would evidence that He has forgiven you because you are forgiving others. This is what God calls us to. It's very difficult. But the call of Christianity is a call of self-denial and of following Jesus Christ. Confess your sins to God. Plead with him to forgive you. And as you do, as you do, be mindful of having a heart and an attitude of forgiveness towards others. And if you struggle with that, confess that to God.